those lovely notes from Giuseppe Verdi mean it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level. I'm Frank Rivello. Glad you've clicked on and gotten stuck in with us again. Joining me as always, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing this weekend? Uh, you know, we're doing a little bit better. Uh, hey, how about how about Milan? Three points, a win. It. Uh, uh, haven't seen one of those in a while. No, Milan win, and everybody else in the league seems to falter. So that's a very odd weekend, Twilight Zone. Yeah, they pick up two points on uh, well, just about everybody. So and Milan went uh, at home. You know, that's a that's a rarity too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't complain too much there. Eight games have gone by. Uh, you know, eight games have gone by in this match week sixteen. With uh, interestingly enough, out of those eight, just three winners, uh, five draws, and just sixteen goals. So uh, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a different weekend in Serie A, uh, to say the least. What is this? The BPL? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's <laughs> you know. You know, they're, trying, they're trying to be the so-called best team in the league. They wanted to try to imitate them a little bit. Who knows? But uh, uh, but anyway, we do uh, you know we do have a guest uh, on this week's edition of the Serie A sit down, and uh, we have been uh, throughout the season we have been spotlighting clubs, and this week the spotlight is on Lazio. Uh, and joining us is the founder of the Italian edition of the Eurosport website, uh, and then he moved to Sport Italia. Uh, which was the uh, which is the Italian sport TV channel, then to Gold.com, where he was chief editor of the Italian edition, and then managing all the European edition, and now uh, spends his time as founder of the Lazio Lounge podcast. We say benvenuto to Vittorio Campanile. Vittorio, glad to have you on. My pleasure. Thank you for calling me. Oh no, thank you, uh, thank you for being on at a very late hour for you. Uh, so, so we we definitely appreciate it. Um, uh, you know, before we uh, jump into uh, a little bit of a Q and A here about Lazio, why don't you uh, give us a little background on your podcast, and how you arrived at it, and uh, you know, and some of the things that you're up to today? Well, basically, um, living outside Italy, I found out that the communication of Lazio in English is terrible or non-existent, and uh, you know the. Everybody says that Lazio is not popular outside Rome and living outside Italy. I found out that there are a lot of Lazio fans all over the world yeah. willing or feeling they should have more info about the club, but they couldn't get it because someone doesn't speak Italian and the official communication is not in English and they're not uh, English uh, website in, in, about Lazio. So... Uh, with Alastair McKenzie, who is a Scottish journalist, a, a big Lazio fan as well, we decided to to start this uh, weekly podcast in English, of course, about Lazio. And things are going well. You know, there are hundreds of Lazio fans in Asia, in UK, thanks to Paul Gascoigne, in the US. So we started this and we're going quite fine. And so I think that was the right thing to do and proves simply that there's a lot of Lazio fans all over the world. It's, uh, you know, any, any, any opportunity, and we've become friends, actually, with uh, the gentlemen who, uh, who do an uh, English-speaking podcast for Napoli as well. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, um, you know, there is, there is interest outside of Italy in these teams. You know, um, it's not just, uh, you know, Juventus, the Milan clubs, and, you know, you know a little bit of uh, Roma sprinkled, sprinkled here and there, and obviously... In, in, in a couple of years, in, in the last couple of years, Napoli have obviously been, been very trendy, uh, considering the way they play. 
So yeah, it, there's uh, you know it, uh, you know a vehicle that a vehicle for that and getting some listeners. It's always it's always good to have uh, those kind of outlets. Uh, you know for the uh, the fan. Uh, you know, for a team that they want uh, just kind of exclusive information on. So, uh, you know, great to hear. Uh, great to hear you're up to that and that uh, that you put that together. So, um, thank you. Let's start with uh, let, let's start at the top. Uh, you know, in our in our Q and A, uh, and you know, a guy that I've gone on and said in my Calcio Consultant blog, uh, you know, as well as said on this podcast, uh, I think the benefit that you have with your manager right now in Simone Inzaghi is that he is a Lazio lifer. He might be at his dream job right now. Um, you know, let me start by asking, uh, giving you a chance to comment on the effect that he's had at this club and how he nearly didn't get this job when you consider that they wanted Mar- Marcelo Bielsa to have it. Um, and, uh, you know, what he's done, what he's continued to do. And, uh, you know, just, uh, is, is this his dream job? Do you see him being Lazio manager for as long as he wants it? You never know in football, especially in Serie A, but uh, he says it pretty much in every press conference that he's a Lazio fan. This is his dream job. Uh, you know, a lot of rumors of uh, he being contacted by big clubs like Juventus, etc. He he always played them down saying, you know, I'm, I'm in my dream job. I'm a Lazio fan and I'm managing Lazio, so I'm happy here. I'm not, I'm not looking to, you know, manage Juventus or other big clubs around Europe. Um, so uh, he's happy there, but, you know, a lot depends on uh, on the results, on what the club gives him. You know, he, he proved to be a very good manager, but uh, I believe everybody in every job want to succeed, want to have success and win. Sure. So in Serie A, you need to... You can do it if you have good players, great players that can make the difference. So you're going to see that. But you have to admit that uh, with the team available, he's doing something amazing. Uh, he beat Juventus in the Supercoppa when probably no one would give a Lazio chance. And um, you're right. You know, it's it's good to have a manager who is a real Lazio fan, who spent probably all his career at Lazio, you know, as a player. Yeah. And uh, and he's bringing the, that extra f- motivation, I believe, that make the difference. You know, you, you can see it. The things uh, Lazio fan loves most is Inzaghi celebrating. Uh, everybody has in the eyes the celebration mm-hmm. uh, after Milinkovic Savic scored against Kievo Verona this season. But I remember clearly when Immobile scored the second goal in the Derby last year. Inzaghi running throughout the pitch, like following a Immobile before he scored. You know, that's something that another manager cannot give you. And Fan loves Inzaghi for that. And probably he's taking extra care when he's preparing the match because he's a Lazio fan and wants to win every single match. Yeah. Mm. How about, um, I mean, and, and just uh, comment on the job. comment on the job that he's done here. Uh, in this in this season plus, I know that Richard's going to have a question about some specific players here, but uh, just uh, you know, we, we're 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 here talking about what Maurizio Sarri has done at Napoli. We're talking about what uh, Max Allegri has done, you know, here in these last few seasons at Juventus, getting to two Champions League finals. You know, the effect that Eusebio Di Francesco is having at your rival Roma, um, you know, is starting to get a lot of attention here as well. I mean, it's just it, it it's it's crazy. I think in a 
and, and throw in Spalletti at Inter because they're top of the table. Uh, it just, do you feel like as a Lazio fan that what Inzaghi does for Lazio flies under the flies under the radar compared to those other managers? Well, probably, especially last year. Um, the the big difference for me is that uh, you was talking about Allegri, Sarri, and and Spalletti, for example. Uh, especially Sarri and Allegri, they have probably the two best roster, as you would say in America. Um, you know, they they have quality players, top players, and they have uh, subs that are. Uh, quite decent, etc. You you look in Zaghi and you look you look Lazio and probably have eleven, twelve very good players. But apart from that, you don't have that depth that allows a team to compete for the Champions League. And there's where Inzaghi is making the difference. Uh, a lot of youngsters with him have proved to be worthy. Uh, he changed position to players and they still play at a very high level. Uh, plenty of example, you know, Patrick playing in the three-man defense, uh, which is in his role, and he played well. Of course, we are not talking about Paolo Maldini, but he he played well. Uh, Luis Alberto coming out from nothing, uh, from nowhere, and playing that well, uh, Immobile and things like that. So, you know, plenty of example of players that perform at this best with uh, with uh, Simone Inzaghi, and that's the biggest difference. Uh, Lazio hasn't got uh, a squad for to compete for the Champions League, but within Zaghi they're making this miracle. So that's where the biggest difference, I would say. Um, last season, you know, I was one of the few people who picked uh, Inzaghi as manager of the year for me because I was impressed with what he did with Lazio last season, and he's continuing this season. Uh, my question to you is. Who do you think Inzaghi has impacted the most this season on Lazio? Um, and who is your player of the season so far? Well, for this season, you have to say Luis Alberto. He was hardly playing last season, and now he's the game changer. He 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 has been called from to the Spanish national squad mm-hmm. just because yeah. of of his of his performance. And I think his top assist in Serie A and. Uh, He's been playing really unbelievable football, and every free kick for Lazio is is a danger. I mean, uh, Tefrai scored three goals, Basto scored three goals, and if you go and check, they are all assists from Luis Alberto. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know he he made a huge impact, and uh, that's probably the player who improved more. But then you go and see Murja, you go and see Stracosha. Yeah. Uh, and all, all and all these young players, uh, they completely change with Simone Inzaghi. Uh, of course, l- let's be honest. You know, if you don't have talent, then you can bring even Mourinho or whoever you think is the best manager in the world. You still won't play as a champion. Uh, so you have to have the right good players. But you have to admit that Inzaghi is able to take to make you play as at your best level, and that's what's happening with Lazio at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like the, like the effect he's having on all of these guys. I am with you on that, Luis, Alber- on Luis Alberto. There's all the talk about Chiro Immobile's, um, you know, revival, uh, if you will, uh, you know, uh, since joining Lazio, and then obviously uh, being able to uh, have Sergei Milinkovic-Savic 
uh, shine after departing from Lucas Bilia. It's it's quite interesting. And I you know not you know not as splashy a name as some of those others, but Adam Arusic on that right hand side has been very impressive this season. Uh, you know, in my opinion, so he he has some pretty he has a pretty nice effect. Um, you know, on his players. Uh, you know, shifting gears a little bit here, Vittorio. Uh, wanted to know what you thought. Okay, Roma appear to be trying to move on from the Olimpico and they're putting in the Stadio della Roma. Um, are Lazio, it, it, do they just plan on, is the Olimpico just going to be all theirs? What's the agreement right now? I, I believe, is the Olimpico, I believe, is owned by the city of Roma, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, is there is there a stadium in Lazio's future? What does uh, Signora Lotito have up his sleeve as far as a home ground for Lazio going forward? Well, the Olimpico is of Coni, so they rent it to Lazio Roma to play. It's not of the uh, of the mayor of Rome. Right. And uh, what Lotito always said in the past and recent recent days is, we're going to wait to see what happened with the uh, Roma Stadium. When they get the approval, then we'll come back because Lotito presented a plan years before and it was rejected. Uh, so uh, he has a property, uh, if I'm not wrong, in the Tiberina area. And after the approval of the study of, of Rome, he's trying to push because uh, obviously, you know, the Olympico is not your property and uh, you need to have a smaller stadium of your property uh, to be your own. So I know there is this project, Stadio delle Aquile, will be called, uh, that will be presented very soon. Um, and let's see what happens, you know. Uh, anyways, not going to be uh, built in less than two years like the Roma one. So, But I believe uh, that both Roma and Lazio need their own stadium. And... Uh, to be honest, Connie and the uh, mayor of Rome said that two big teams like that need to have the stadium, the property stadium. So I think it's going to happen. Okay, well that's good because it's. Uh, I mean, you, it's uh, Juventus has obviously put their own stadium in, um, and now it's the Allianz Stadium or whatever. Yeah, they seem to be calling it something different every week, right, Richard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, can't so can't keep up. The J, we call it the J. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, and I'm with you there. I don't know that there's whispers about Milan. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things that they've got to get sorted out before they can even talk about a stadium. Yeah. Uh, but, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it surprises me that, you know, the other big clubs have taken so long to follow Juventus's model when you consider Juventus's success. It's nice to see that, you know, there's at least a plan in place for Lazio. And uh, I'll be very curious to see... Um, uh, you know how that goes. Yes, but don't forget that Juventus is different. They had already uh, a property, a stadium, and they rebuilt it. So uh, that's completely a different thing because they already had the uh, the authorization because there was the stadium there, and okay. they rebuilt it. But at the same time, everybody's talking about the uh, the the own stadium, like you know a game changer. Don't forget Udinese has the stadium of their property. Yeah. And I don't feel that nothing changed there. Obviously, if you are a big club, things can change. But otherwise, no, it doesn't. Um, don't forget that uh, having a stadium open seven days a week 
will increase the cost because you will have to have people working there not only on Sunday afternoon, but all week long. And for example, having a stadium outside the city, who tells you that on Tuesday, on Thursday, people will go there, you know? If, if you have it in the center of the city, uh, it's different. Uh, you know, I've been living in, in England for four years and Old Trafford, it's in the city, you know? It's in Manchester, it's not one hour away. Uh, so you can live the stadium there. Arsenal, same thing, you know, uh, Leeds United. So it's different. Don't think that uh, this will, will change everything. So it, it's important. This, in Italy, you need to have new stadium because the one we have are very old. And, uh, you know, the, you cannot see a match very well from there. Yeah. Uh, they're not friendly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you need to build new stadium. So if you need to de- build new stadium, it's better if it's your own property. So you know you can build it how you want, uh, uh, etc. But don't believe that that's going to change everything. You know, it's it's going to be better. You're going to have an increase of ticket sales because. People will be happy to go to, to the stadium because it's new. They're going to watch better the match. But doesn't mean that in four years' time, uh, Roma will have the same money of Real Madrid. Mm. Right, yeah. Well, since we're speaking of the future, um, I want to transition back to the players. Um, you mentioned a couple of them already. Uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, uh, Strakosha, Joseph Lukaku. Um, who, uh, for Lazio fans that maybe do not know, that are not aware, who's the up-and-coming players that uh, people should be put on the radar, should pay attention to? Young players. Well, with Inzaghi, we've been lucky because we saw a lot of youngsters, you know, Strakosha start yeah. playing last season. Uh, Minkovic Savic is not a surprise, at least, I believe, for people watching Serie A. Uh, Luis Alberto, again, he came out. You know, there's Murja that is really interesting. He already scored more than an important goal this season. You know, Supercoppa Italiana, yeah, Europe yeah. League, etc. Uh, the problem is that with that midfield, he doesn't have that much play time. But there are a lot of uh, young Lazio players that are coming up. And the good thing is that Inzaghi, and this is probably the big difference between the past, is not scared to make them play. He doesn't see how old you are before putting you in the pitch. So that's that's really interesting. Uh, Maruzic is it's a player like uh, talking about really youngster. There is this Micheli that is the captain of Lazio Primavera. Mm-hmm. He made his debut in a Europe League, and to be honest, on Thursday he played really really well. Um, so. It's a little bit early. I don't think he's going to play that much this season in the first squad. But he came back in Primavera uh, last Saturday and scored against Sinter a terrific goal. And he's going to be one to watch, absolutely. Great. That's that's a that's a great great information there for uh, for Lazio fans and all and, and Serie A fans in general. It's for to keep an eye on players coming up. Absolutely. Um, before we get into it, we're going to preview the Lazio-Torino game here tomorrow, Vittorio. Uh, I do want to you know, throw at you a, uh, a couple of questions um, here. Uh, just, you know, Richard had a question about the future. Um, I want to ask a question about, uh, you know, a couple of questions here about the history. Um, 
you know, with Lazio. Uh, <clears throat> you know, most, you know, last title, uh, last Serie A title, 1999-2000, under the watch of uh, uh, Sven Goran Eriksson. Uh, so many great players on that team. Just uh, a little, a little reminiscing about uh, about that team and uh, what that meant to you, if you don't mind. Well, it was a great team uh, with uh, a very good manager. Who is funny because after leaving Lazio, I thought he would have a bright future. Instead, things went downhill for him. Yeah. Um, everybody believes that that team should have won more. He was really unlucky in the, the year before, etc. But uh, they won a, a cup, winners' cup in Europe. They are the only team I think that have a positive score against Manchester United. We won the uh, European Super Cup against Manchester United. There were so many terrific players, uh, you know, Veron. Uh, Mancini, Boxic, Nesta. Yeah, it was a great team and. Probably was the only moment where, uh, as a Lazio fan, you know you could beat everybody, really everybody. You know, even talking about Real Madrid, you could play against this top team, uh, knowing that you had a big chance to win it, and that was probably the positive, the best thing about that. Oh, you look at the <laughs> you look at the names on this team, and my my goodness, uh, Richard. Uh, you know, Alessandro Nesta, obviously, before uh, before joining Milan, as he mentioned. Yeah. Uh, look at these guys who are now who have gone on to become managers and have had some reasonably successful careers as managers. Um, Roberto Mancini, Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, a, a certain uh, Diego Simeone, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and of course, uh, of course, the man in charge at Lazio now, Simone Inzaghi. So they have. It's funny because there's Pancaro who's managing, I think, in Lega Pro. Uh, there are a lot of pretty much Sensini who's managing in uh, in Argentina, Almeida who's managing in Argentina, uh, Sergio Goncesao who's yes. one of the best manager in Europe at the moment. Mm-hmm. So of 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 those starting eleven, let's call it like that. I think the only one who's not turned to be a manager is Luca Marchegiani, who's the Pounded for Sky Italy, so mm-hmm. um, people. So, I, I don't remember who said it, but uh, some of the players said, "You know, those those team. You could see it was a smart team because in 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 the pitch they were adapting directly before Ericsson was saying things, and uh, you can understand that the football QE of that of those players was really high, and you can see it now because everybody." All of them are manager, and I would say pretty much all of them are having success. So mm-hmm. this is probably one of the secrets of the good teams. You know, take about think about uh, Milan of Saki. There are a lot of manager that came out of that team. So right, Reichard right, Reichard went on to have some success. Von Boston, Hullet, uh, the, the the Dutch trio all went on went on and became managers. They had varying degrees of success. Of course, Donadoni is a is a manager. Ancelotti. Yeah. Um, you, you're absolutely right. So, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, take from the players who have gone on and, 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 and won at a high level. And, uh, you know, certainly that's exciting. Uh, you know, great team there. And then, uh, uh, one more just specific player I'd, I'd like you to uh, reminisce about a little bit or give us a little bit of background on or tell some of our listeners that aren't familiar. And that's Giorgio Canalia. Um, he's a bit of a, 
I consider him a pioneer here as far as helping to advance the game here in the United States. He uh, co-hosted a, a radio show uh, on satellite radio here in the United States. He was he, he did some pundit work, uh, you know, for some World Cups, uh, obviously came over here and played for the Cosmos. Um, you know, just your thoughts on Giorgio Canalia, because he had quite a career when he was at Lazio, too. Well, he won the first Scudetto with mm-hmm. Lazio, so uh, he was an idol. Uh, probably if you talk about Lazio with a Lazio fan, uh, yeah. with a little bit of age, you know, uh, not a 20 years old <laughs> Lazio fan, because probably never saw him, uh, he's going to tell you that Kinaya is Lazio. Uh, you know, a little bit like Simone Inzaghi. He's, he was a yep. huge fan. He was someone that put everything every time he was playing for Lazio. And at the same time, that is something that was missing in, in the squad. He was not afraid of playing against Roma. He liked, he, he was, uh, you know, trying to provoke uh, Roma fans, etc. And uh, I don't know if you ever talked about how important is the derby in Rome. Uh, it could save a season. It's so important. You start talking about it in August and you finish in June. Mm-hmm. And uh, so winning the Derby was was massive. And uh, he, he was always there, you know, in the Derby. He was always uh, able to, to win it. And most of the time he was able to do it himself. And then he left and, and Lazio went down. He came back and became the president of, of Lazio. And without thinking, to be honest, because he didn't have enough money to do it, but with a heart showing how much uh, Lazio fan he was. And, you know, he was adored by, by Lazio fan, even even there, even though, even if he made a couple of mistakes there. But, uh, you know, Giorgio Ginaia is probably the, the biggest idol Lazio had and the, probably the biggest successful idol because... People of my generation probably will be will be remembering more Beppe Signori. Uh, he was incredible, but mm-hmm. it's a big shame he didn't win nothing with Lazio because he went away the season that Lazio won the first trophy. So yeah, oh yeah, uh, yep. So um, you know, Kinaya is is huge in in the US. Uh, I remember. Uh, I don't remember which friend told me, but during the World Cup. There was Pelé doing a press conference and then Kinaya came in and all the U.S. journalists left Pelé and went to talk with the Giorgio Kinaya. This mm. tells you how much Kinaya was important in, in the U.S. And, uh, yeah, you know, the story of Kinaya and Maestrelli is simply uh, something incredible. That Lazio was incredible. You know, the story of the Lazio that won the Scudetto in the 74, it's, it's simply amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. They should do a film about that. I, I, uh, I hope they do sometime. I'd certainly watch it, for oh, sure. I too, yeah. Um, I'm just a big fan of, 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 of discussing, you know, histories when it comes to this sort of stuff. Just in particular, it's, it, it's amusing to me, and especially, uh, you know, last week, I think, on Twitter... The, I mean, social media is just littered with so many young people who don't know that don't know history of teams and that sort of thing. They just live in the now so much. And uh, some of this comes from last week when Milan drew against Benevento and some young guy that was on my feed said, that's it. I, you know, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen from Milan. This is, a, this is an all new low. Oh, and I came back and I said, well, you were you must not have been around when Milan lost to Padova and Alexi Lala scored the winning goal. So. But, 
one. So. But again, that wasn't the worst part, you know. When right. Milan, don't forget, Milan got relegated in Serie B. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Inter, Inter fans they remind did. us all the time. They do. You know, you know, one of the uh, probably <laughs> best moment of a Lazio fan of my age is remembering Pauli goal in the in the playout for not get relegated in third division. Mm. You know, Lazio that season got relegated yep. from Serie A and Serie B and started the season with nine points less and mm-hmm. the victory was just two points. So it was pretty impossible to to recover from nine points uh, uh, of penalty. And instead, right. Lazio was able to, to get there Reach the playoff against Campobasso and Vicente and uh, and win it. You know that was probably for for Lazio fan of my age one of the best moment ever. You know uh, I remember the year the first match of the uh, year afterwards. Uh, Curva Nord had a big banner right with um, and it was written. You know nine point wasn't enough. Next time. Next time, try with twenty-one. You know, <laughs> you know, that tells you a lot about a Lazio fan. You know, we are used to struggle, we are used to suffer, and it gives you extra joy. Uh, yeah, Lazio won two scudetto, but probably, you know, the 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 joy, the satisfaction of winning that is equal of twenty-five of Juventus because you know you're used to. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are Juventus fan and they used to win you know they don't celebrate even anymore like that you know for for Lazio fan every victory is incredible because it's it's unexpected mm. <laughs> yeah well, there's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot of suffering going on for Lazio fans these days uh, uh no things know, are bad class of the it, class of the class of your group in the Europa League um you know on 32 points with uh, two games in hand on the top three um <clears throat> In uh, in Serie A, things are things are definitely looking good. Yeah, but it's always good to not forget where where you come from. You know, remember mm-hmm. that bad times can come back, and uh, and even if you lose a derby, remember what what happened. You know, twenty years ago, and that things are still better. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, tell us your thoughts on. Uh, we'll finish up with this. Uh, tell us your thoughts on. Um, uh, the game on Monday, uh, you play host to Torino. Uh, you know, the Granata sitting in 12th. Um, you know, when you look at it on the surface, you think Torino, and you think in recent in recent seasons, there have been real problems with that team defensively. Um, you know, Lazio have uh, have been very good. You get the extra day of rest. Uh, Simone Inzaghi rested some players, uh, on, you know, from having to play in uh, uh, Europa League there on Thursday. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, wh- how, wh- how do you see this game uh, uh, against Torino uh, on Monday? We'll start with you and your thoughts on uh, what you expect. Well, we say it pretty much every week. This is a key match, but probably this is a really important match for Lazio because after all the top three, four team drawing, you know, winning tomorrow against Torino would put... Lazio back in fourth place with a big gap between uh, the fourth and the and the sixth. Yeah. So it's it's really important to win. Uh, it's going to be important to see how the players react because the players know this. They know what Roma did. You know what what Inter, Juventus, and Napoli did. So it would be important to see if they play relaxed 
or if they feel the pressure. Um, and Mialovic is a former Lazio player. I believe he'll try to come to Rome and prove that he's a good manager and uh, uh, deserve credit. So I don't think it's going to be easy, even if Torino didn't play as well this season as in the past. It's good that Lazio was able to rest pretty much all the all the players this Thursday, and uh, especially Immobile Luis Alberto, who played a lot this season. Uh, having them getting a day off, it was really important. Um, I think it's going to be a tough match because uh, Torino, yeah, they're not performing really well, but it's going to be complicated. Obviously, it, it would be really, really important for Lazio to score immediately and and then to control the match. But uh, you never know, you know, an episode in football can change everything. So it's important to start strong the match, maybe find an early goal and then control the match. And Lazio can be really, really dangerous when uh, you know, on counter-attack if, they give, if you give them a lot of space. So that could be an option. And then, uh, you know, uh, Felipe Anderson is back. He's not going to start. He's going to probably have some time in the, in the second half. And so that could be even more dangerous for Torino if, uh, if uh, uh, Lazio go ahead and give time uh, uh, and space for Lazio attackers. It's intriguing. It's, a, it's on a knife edge, to Vittorio's point. Very important that Inzaghi rested a lot of players here uh, on Thursday. Uh, I, curious to get your thoughts on uh, what's going to happen here on Monday. Yeah, no, Vittorio brought up some good points. I mean, with the top four all not getting any ground, this is a perfect opportunity to catch them and get back into fourth place. And with you know, also with Sampdoria not doing much this weekend, um, it's another it's a it's a chance to increase the gap there and create separation between the top five uh, and between fifth and sixth place. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Um, you know, not Lazio at home. Uh, they're fans. They're, they have great fans over there in the Curva Nord, and you know I'm expecting with with the, all the players that were that were set set on Thursday, like Vittorio said, they should be refreshed, should be re-energized. Um, it's very important for all, for all those players who play several minutes this season so, so far and haven't had a chance to break. That was a much needed rest there, and I think that that's going to help them immensely because Torino they're 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 a Jekyll and Hyde team. One minute they come out and they just get destroyed by a team that they had no reason uh, losing to, and then they can they also come out and score you know three or four goals, and um, you're, you're thinking where did that come from? Um, you know, Balotti has yet to you know get on the score sheet really this season, get going, um, but they they could erupt at any moment. They have that potential, uh, but defensively, you know, with Torino they do. Even though lately they have been very stingy, um, they have been giving goals up all season, so it's going to be a very cagey affair. Um, but I do like Lazio in this. Um, I think they had just too much firepower, uh, too much power in the midfield. Um, and Stracosha, I, li- I like what he's doing this season. Uh, he's making people forget about Marchetti um, just by the way he's playing. Even if Marchetti came back, I don't think he would get in the net because Stracosha has been that good. So, you know, the whole team around there, and plus, you know, the young guys on the bench, um, I think Lazio is going to pull this out. It's going to be closer than maybe what Lazio fans and Vittorio want, but. Um, I do think Lazio will ultimately get the, the three points. I'm I'm with you. I think it's I think it's a win for Lazio. I'm going to even give you a score. I'll say it's going to be three one. Wow. Um, I'll go two one. I, I I think there'll be goals in this game. I think that you know Torino 
while they've done some good things, um, you know, with their uh, with with their um, you know, with their defense, they've been improving. You know, I, I I think there's just too much power in this Lazio team for them, and I think that that's just enough of a gap. I think they've got enough going forward. I think defensively, they're still naive enough. Um, so for me, I'm I'm uh, I'm willing to go ahead and say that this is going to be uh, a three-one win to Lazio, uh, and I'll uh, I'll call a Chiro Immobile brace uh, on this as well. So uh, you know, get him right back in there, uh, uh, neck and neck with Icardi for the uh, uh, for the Capocannonieri. Uh, so Vittorio, you told us everything that um, you, you told us everything that uh, uh, you know that, that you think the game's going to be about. Do you have a score for us? Uh- for me, it all depends on Luis Alberto. If he stops playing like he did at the beginning of the season, then Lazio can win 2-0. Otherwise, I can see a 1-0 for Lazio. Okay. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you got 1-0, I got 3-1. Richard, do you have a score for this? Yeah, 2-1. 2-1, for, you for said. Lazio, okay. yeah. 2-1 for Lazio. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh this was awesome, Vittorio. A lot of good insight and a lot of good information here on Lazio for our listeners to get, uh, you know, to kind of get a little more acquainted with uh, with them. And um, you know, uh, you know, certainly uh, certainly appreciate uh, all of the knowledge. Uh, uh, and I, 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 I like what I see from them. Somehow, uh, Simone Inzaghi still keeps this thing going. It's great to see. Yeah, it's good. And uh, one thing important I don't know if you're going to talk about is that at the moment all the top teams look really tired mm-hmm. and uh, uh, with Lazio already qualified for the Europe League and given the chance to a couple of starters to to get a week off like this Thursday and last Thursday mm-hmm. uh, Lazio could, could be a little bit fresher than the other teams uh, um, you know against Sampdoria Lazio played really really well and it's complicated Sampdoria never lost no, not only didn't lose, but won all the matches at home and beat even Juventus. And Lazio came there, dominated, uh, struggled a little bit, but played much better than Sampdoria and deserved to win. Uh, you see Inter, they, they they suffer a lot against Juventus and went out with a draw. Juventus have a couple of problems with Dybala. Napoli doesn't seem the same team. So if Lazio wins tomorrow and, and prove to be fresher than the others then you know things can change a lot and uh, uh, the the fight for the Champions League spot can be really really interesting indeed indeed it uh, it'll be very interesting so you know having you know having said all that let's jump into some of the some of what we saw already in match week 16 All right, and uh, we're going to uh, headline this recap, of course, uh, with the Derby d'Italia. Uh, anytime uh, Juventus and Inter, uh, you know, head the slate, we've got to go with them first, don't we? Um, oh yeah. It was uh, Inter going to the J. No losses on the season under Luciano Spalletti. Max Allegri uh, bringing his Juventus charges in. Making a very interesting selection here, Richard. No Paulo Dybala in the starting eleven. What did you think of that when you saw the lineup released? Yeah, I was curious. Uh, I was curious what the formation was going to be. I mean, Dybala has been so instrumental for for Juventus this season. He's been uh, pulling strings, setting up. I mean, he started out very hot, obviously, with all the goals. But he's also very instrumental in their in their team game and setting up the plays. 
Uh, so not, to not have him in there, I was uh, very curious how Allegri was going to roll the guy, roll the guys out. Uh, but you saw bringing in, you know, stacking the midfield with Matuidi, Kadira, and uh, Pjanic. You clearly knew what his intent was, and it was to sh- uh, set up shop and not allow many opportunities for Inter. Mm. What did you think of that, Vittorio? I mean, I, I, Paulo Dybala certainly got off to a very hard start to this season. Certainly, has you know, maybe has not been able to carry that level of play and uh, I, I don't think that this was a hey your form is not very good I'm sitting in this game I think that it, it was far more what uh, what Allegri was trying to watch out for tactically against Inter wasn't it well you have to be honest and say that in the last two months probably Dybala is not playing as in September and uh, a team like Juventus cannot play with uh, with Dybala in, the, in that type of form and Allegri has to be honest and uh, play always the best squad available. That's why Dybala didn't play against uh, against Inter. He has he for me he's probably the best player in Serie A. But when he plays in this type of form, he's Juventus has other options that can perform better. So that's why he didn't play. For me, the most the biggest problem for Juventus was, you know, the injury like Buffon who didn't play and Plesesny who didn't convince me at all this season. So, uh, and then you have Mandzukic who played really well last week, uh, Iguain again who scored against Napoli. So, you know, Juventus has a big has a big um, squad and you know it's difficult, but they can allow to. Uh, don't play Dybala if he's not in form. And I think at the moment he's not. Now we have to understand why, because he's young and we are just in December is just starting and he played bad even in November. He cannot be tired. But it's going to be interesting. I mean, if he wants to uh, become a game changer at a higher level, like Champions League level, then he, he we cannot accept a month and a half like that. He has to step up, recover his top form, and and play again. Um, so, honestly, I wasn't surprised by the decision of Allegri. Mm. It's uh, it was an interest. It was a curious one to me because it was. I always go by the theory that uh, he's been so good at home, um, you know, and not so good, you know, not so good in away or neutral fixtures, especially against a higher level opponent. Uh, you know, so for me, it was uh, it was a curious uh, decision, but uh, it was clear, uh, you know, that he had a strategy in mind. He wanted to try to derail Inter. And, uh, you know, really, that's what Juventus ended up doing, unfortunately. And, and everybody saw the game. There's no there's no real highlights to talk about here. Um, Juventus went on and, uh, and, and Inter went on and they drew the match nil nil. Um, and uh, when you take a look at the uh, when you take a look at how this game uh, you know, played out. The possession was relatively equal. Inter certainly had a lot more chances, uh, you know, in this game. Or excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, Juve had a lot more chances oh, in this yeah, game, yeah. I should Good say. <laughs> um, <laughs> they bombarded Inter's goal, uh, out shooting them 13 to three, having 10 chances on target. So, you know, having said that, uh, there, there's there, there's no one else other than uh, uh, Samir Handanovic uh, to give man of the match to, is there, Richard? Um, actually, I was going to go with a three-way tie for the man of the match. Handanovic, absolutely, for Inter. Uh, he, saved the ma- he saved the match for them time and time again. He was Batman, for sure. Uh, okay. The saves that he made was, was, was fantastic. Uh, but 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go also to two other players and who I thought were very instrumental for Juventus, and that was Mario Mandzukic and Juan Cuadrado on the wings. Yes, um, coming back defensively is what helped shut down Inter. Um, yes, they did some things offensively too. Mandzukic had a couple opportunities. I think he hit one off the crossbar uh, with a header, but defensively their work rate is really what kept uh, Inter out of the net because. They kept coming back. It's not often that the wingers, especially of uh, offensive talent like these two guys have, uh, come back and help out. We've talked about for the last year and a half now that Mario Mandzukic has been doing this nonstop every game. Cuadrado, not so much. And he's been, he, this game, he was, he was fantastic. So with those two and Handanovic, it's a three-way tie for a man of the match for me. Okay. Um, let me give you another name, Vittorio. I, I, I'm certainly with you on Cuadrado for sure. Uh, Richard, the influence he had on the game, the you know the work rate, uh, the work rate up and down the pitch, uh, but then also some of the crosses and some of the things that he he made Inter's defense uncomfortable. Um, I, let me give you another name here, uh, a couple other names here, Vittorio. Uh, when Juve beat Napoli, I gave Giorgio Chiellini a shout for man of the match for you know basically making Therese Martins disappear. Um, I'd be willing to uh, to put him in the upper echelon of players in this match and arguably make him a man of the match because we didn't hear a whole lot from Mauro Icardi in this game. Uh, but then on the other side, you had Milan Skriniar, who did some very good things here defensively and has proven why he's probably been, you know, one of the best, uh, you know, summer transfers uh, that any, any uh, you know, of, of any Serie A team. So, uh I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in your court, Vittorio. Uh, who had the better match, Giorgio Chiellini or Milan Skriniar? <laughs> that's a nice that's a nice uh, question. Um, I can't let I don't like I, I don't let our guests in here easy. I'm sorry. <laughs> no <laughs> they problem. All, they, no all, they all go through an initiation. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would say Chiellini because Icardi was in a better form than Iguain. Yeah. But to be honest. Uh, before the match, I thought Inter had a great chance because Juventus had a very important match in Champions League. They had to win. So there were a lot of key players that was tired after after the match. Buffon was out. Higuain was, was in top form. Uh, Dybala was out, etc. I thought Inter had a great chance to go there, win, and, uh, and get a huge gap. Instead, at the end, we all saying that Juventus played much better. And without a great Andanovic, probably Inter would have lost this match. So, you know, I was a little bit surprised that uh, Inter played that that bad or, or Juventus played better. Everybody is talking very high about Spalletti that for sure changed the team. You uh, was talking about Screener. Uh, Inter didn't sign out of players this summer. It's pretty much the same team that... Uh, performed so bad last season with the Pioli, uh, so I absolutely have to give credit to to Spalletti. But this Inter still doesn't convince me one hundred percent. It's going to be no. tough to beat them, yes. But then, if you do, if you think, okay, they went to Napoli, they put the bus in front of the the goal, and they came home with a draw. They did pretty much the same thing against Juventus, against Roma. They won, but uh, till the last. 10-15 minutes, Roma was playing much better than Inter. Yeah, so, I think that I, I agree with you. I think that was more of a, a I, I think that was more of Roma losing than Inter winning. Yeah, so so at the end yes, Inter played away against three top team and didn't lose, but how much was luck and the goalkeeper 
uh, and how much was credit to the to the team uh, I, I would say 50-50 so uh, I'm not totally convinced that Inter uh, is better than the other teams or is going to win the Scudetto I think they have to do much better than this even because Juventus is catching up Juventus is playing much better than at the beginning of the season so it's going to be complicated it's going to be complicated mm, okay not a whole lot more to say about this game, unfortunately. You know, you know, Inter now have gone at the San Paolo and at the J, and they've come away with nil-nil draws in both. So I'll ask both of you guys: um, Does this create does this create an advantage for them? I mean, the other thing that we got to factor in is that there's no Europe for them too, so yeah. they can focus on they can focus on the Serie A. Um, with both Napoli and Juventus having to come to the San Siro, do we, Richard, do we start looking at this big picture and saying, we might need to take Inter seriously? Yeah, and until they disprove all of our doubts on them, we're going to have to take them seriously. I mean, we, we had that poll on Serie A sit-down uh, with Inter being in the race between Napoli and Juventus. Who does this affect more? And it was a split vote because people aren't sure. Yes, it'll affect Napoli. Yes, it'll affect Inter, um, Juventus. But, you know, it's it, people are just split up about this the only thing people are you know on consensus about is that if you had to start a team you start with Icardi or the other strikers in the league so um yeah you know Inter we all we all think the Inter the shoe's gonna fall we just don't know when uh but until we mm. see it we're gonna have to take him seriously um and the same thing with Lazio right now because Lazio and Roma are also in this fight and you can't forget about them um I thought a lot of people are saying you know how Juventus dominated Inter which they did but I think Inter did what they had to do on the road at a very dangerous place that only one team has gotten, gotten three points from this year. And they came away with a point, and they're still at the top at the end of the year, at the end of the day. So um, it was a good performance by them. And that just, for me, that it's starting to legitimize, legitimize their, 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 their place in this race right now. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, I, I got to agree with that. I mean... Here I go. I mean, it's just, it, we're, I, I, I'm, I just get worried that we're. I, I just get worried because it's Inter and it's Luciano Spalletti. Because last year we went through this with Luciano Spalletti at Roma. They were on the way up and they you, were creating you know all these happen, problems. Right? You this, know what's going to happen, right? The it's second, yeah, the second, second you go the under, second under, I get com- yeah, the second I get comfortable about them, they're going to they're going to they're going <laughs> to fall on their face. They're going to fall flat. That happened with Roma the, last year. Exactly. Uh, it, Exactly happened with Roma last year. This is a, this is our pain with Luciano Spalletti managed teams, Vittorio. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I think more in the second year. If you if you think about it, Spalletti the first season is always very good. Then in the second third year, things start to break up in the locker room. Uh, mm. His personality, his way of managing things is not great, especially in the second year. The first year, the players are all focused. Uh, especially Inter that has to recover after a terrible season. So they will accept his way of being, etc. And you have to admit that on a tactical point of view, Spalletti is probably one of the best managers, not only in, in Italy, but in Europe. How he prepares the match, it, it's mm. great. Um, what is lacking is managing uh, not only players, but key players, star players that have to be treated a little bit different from, from the normal players, let's call it like that. And that's something that he's not very good because he built 
a, a character and uh, his personality doesn't match up very well with his stars player. So I don't believe that Inter will collapse at a certain point. Um, I think the fact that they don't play Europe League or any or Champions League will help a lot because they will have a week long to prepare to matches. But at the same time, I think that was the perfect time to play Juventus. Uh, they were tired. They had injured players, players out of form. Mm-hmm. I think you won't have a better chance to play uh, a weaker Juventus than this one. Right. And yeah, they could, they could, you know, winning against Juventus uh, Saturday, it would have changed a lot of things. Mm. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not going away. Let's just put it that way when, it, when, we, when we talk about Inter. Um, you know, uh, and uh, as far as Juventus is concerned here, uh, I mean, I think they look at it. They, they, they beat Napoli. Uh, they did it at the San Paolo. They, they get the draw against Inter. They had to do it in between, you know, trying to qualify for the next stage of the champions. Like, I think they're more than happy with that. I mean, I don't think they're going to look – Despite the fact that they had the superiority in all of the statistics, I don't know if they're going to really look at this as two points dropped when you look at the, the big picture, uh, especially with a uh, you know with 22 games to go. I think they feel they're too seasoned and they're the team out of this that hey we've done this before we'll know how to we'll know how to react we'll know we'll have the right response. So uh, honestly, this could be the week that Juventus was out of the of the Scudetto race because they had exactly. Napoli away. Then they had the you know a key match in the Champions League, and then they had Inter. They could have lost all three matches and yeah. be out of everywhere. Instead, they won against Napoli. They won well against Napoli. They dominated against Inter. They didn't win, but they sent a clear message. At least that's my opinion. Oh yeah, and, you know I think they're still the favorite, even after, especially after Saturday. Yeah, they're definitely going. They're definitely a factor for sure. Uh, Richard and I both picked him to win the Scudetto, so uh, so we hope we're we, you know uh, you know against a bunch of people that think Napoli are going to win it. So actually, we're hoping you're right. Actually, I thought Na- Napoli. So just correct. Oh, did you pick Napoli? You picked Napoli, pick Napoli to win. Okay. I did pick Napoli. Na- it, it, Richard it picked Napoli. Fu- I picked Juventus. It, it so. was funny because today I could uh, listen to a lot of Napoli journalists saying, "Hey, after the the draw of Juventus today, we're going to be back on top of the on the Serie A," and we all see, saw what happened. So. Well, Richard, why don't you uh, uh, why don't you uh, brief everybody listening on uh, what happened to Napoli today? Well, uh, as, as we just talked about, we had number one Inter against number three Juventus, and uh, there was no separation in that game. In fact, there was no goals in that game. So this was, uh, as Vittorio just said, this is a big opportunity for Napoli to get back into first place and to shut all the naysayers up. Um, they're playing against the Fiorentina team, who was sitting in, tied with Inter, tied with Milan and and Bologna. Um, much lower in the table than, than where, where Napoli are right now. So um, and and Fiorentina are not knocking knocking doors down any by any means. So this should have been a game that you would have thought they would be able to get back on the bounce, get back in first place, and everything would be good again, right? Unfortunately, you know we thought it was Napoli. You almost guaranteed goals. We have a Napoli tracker this season, but the trend is in the last few games that goals have been hard to come by. Um, they even struggled against lowly Feyenoord in the Champions League this in the and during the the midweek midweek game. So, yeah, this is another zero zero game. Um, Napoli they did dominate in possession. Um, you know, Zelensky 
started over Insigne again. It was an injury with uh, his injury concern, so he's out of the game. But they did dominate possession, 62% to 38%. Shots, though, were surprisingly very even. Um, I was really impressed with Fiorentina, the way they came out of this game. They're starting to gain that momentum. Frank and I have been talking about all season how they're a second-half team. Um, they're going to learn how to play with each other in the first half of the season, and then as the second half kicks off, they're going to they're gonna start making their charge. They may be starting now. They Defensively, they look very well, look very stout. The team that they had put out there uh, was a good team. I mean, they had they got Toro, Simeone, and Chiesa all playing together. The midfield was very good with Veratut and Bade and then Marco Banassi. Um, Vittorio, were you more impressed with the way Fiorentina was able to keep it a 0-0 game, get the point out of this, especially on the road? Or are you more disappointed with Napoli and not be able to take advantage of the situation presented for them in the Inter-Juventus game? Um, before the match, I thought Fiorentina would have lost, lost this match because uh, it's not the type of team that comes at San Paolo and wins or play well. Right. But af- after seeing the match, I thought Fiorentina had a great chance to win it. Uh, they have two players that I love a lot that are Simeone and Chiesa. Yeah. Chiesa, in particular, he's he's going to become a star. He's going to become a great player if nothing bad happens. And Simeone is a very interesting striker. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Napoli was nearly lucky they didn't lose because Fiorentina uh, had, had good chances but wasn't able to capitalize. Um, Napoli's tired. Napoli's really tired. And the fact is that Sarri plays all the time those 11 players, all the yeah, time. Yeah. People say, yeah, they do a little bit of turnover. That's not true. Carrion, Insigne, Martens have played all, this, all the match, all the single match, um, every time if they're not injured. And now they are naked. You know, Martens has to play, he's speedy, etc. If he's tired... He's a decent player, but nothing special. And that's all to blame Sarri. Uh, he had Gabbiadini. He didn't make him play. He left. Uh, you cannot manage a top team uh, without a bench. You know, if if you don't allow a player like Gabbiadini to play sometimes, he's going to leave. And then it's going to happen that when you get a player injured, you you not going to have any sub of quality sub to come in and perform. And that's the problem with Napoli. They're tired. They're knackered. And uh, you can see it today. Yeah, ball possession is because they pass the ball uh, very often, etc., especially in their, in, their, in their field. So that counts not that much. But you can see it, you know, against Juventus again, non-effective. Uh, against Feyenoord, they were able to lose... Against Fiorentina, that should have been an easy victory, and they draw. So, the team is very tired. The team is very tired, and I blame Olisari. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and we've talked about it many times, and, and also on the Napoli podcast, they talked the same thing. But the rotation or the lack thereof is really what is going to ultimately possibly do them doom them because you can't play guys that often. Sari says you play once a week, so you should, you're young enough, you should be able to play. I, I don't buy that, Frank. Uh, we did see three players who rarely made an appearance this season. Uh, Adam Unas finally made an appearance. 
Um, he came on as a substitute. Marco Rogue came on as a substitute, and as well as uh, Diawara. Is this is it, and I don't want to say that Napoli is is falling prey or, or biting the bullet and choking away because I don't think that's what it is. But it's it's something that has to be has been taken care of. This this rotation problem, isn't it? Well, how are you going to do it? First of all, yeah. because you know Arkadiusz Milik is is out again. Um, you know, and I think uh, we all praise Napoli for doing nothing in the summer because why? Why, why try to fix what's not broken? But now we're finding out why they should have at least tried to add. Um, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, I just, I, I think they're short of ideas without Lorenzo Insigne. I think that's the big problem right now with him out through injury. Um, you know, they've had two games without him and it just, it, it has not, it, it just hasn't looked like the same Napoli that's, you know, th- th- they can move it around a little bit. They're still going to try and impose their game, but you know, y- you take you know you can take M- Milik out of the picture, and it's one thing they figured out how to adapt without him. Now you take Lorenzo Insigne out of that picture, um, and it's a bigger set of problems. Okay, uh, you know, coming off injured in the Juventus game, and then can only come up with one goal against Feyenoord, uh, and then uh, you know not be able to score on Fiorentina. Um, you know. I think that that's uh, you know I think that that's a that's an issue there. But as far as the you know as far as the lack of rotation, um, you know I think there had been a little bit of a rotation going on in their midfield. You know, tried to rest Virginia wherever you could, try to rest Alan wherever you could, you know, and but but try to continue to rely on your same front three with uh, you know with 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 Insigne, with uh, Mertens, and with Callihan, um, you know, and then now you also have. Um, you also have the uh, you, you you have defenders and you're trying to figure out how to make that work without uh, without Fazi Fazi Gulam. Yeah. Can, so, can I jump in? Absolutely. Yeah, jump in. Yeah. So we talk about Simone Inzaghi. I give you this example. Lazio, Juventus Lazio, uh, Juventus Stadium or Allianz Stadium, as you want to call it. It was two one for Lazio. Immobile and Luis Alberto was tied. What happens? Inzaghi come in, makes two subs and bring in Casado and Nani. What's the yep. message? It's a top match. It's a very important match. And I trust you and I make you play. The match is not over because it's still 2-1. But I I saw you training and I give a chance to Casado and Nani. Yep. What happens? Then in Europe League, Casado and Nani plays and they play well because mm-hmm. even if the match is not important, they know that their manager trusts them. Then you go to Sarri and you see Martens, Caillon, uh, Insigne, they play every single match, every single match. And Milic come in only against Cosenza, against Crotone, sorry, or Benevento. What's the message? I don't trust you. You can play only against Benevento because we are going to win anyway. Does Milic come in against Juventus? Never. Does Milic come in against Inter? Never. And then, and then you're forced to make Giaccherini play in uh, top matches because uh, one of the starter players is, is injured or tired. Will he perform? No, because he doesn't trust his manager. He knows his manager doesn't trust him because Giaccherini plays only against Benevento. You know? So how can you expect a player to perform at his top level if he knows that you don't trust him? That's one of the biggest differences between Simone Inzaghi and Sarri. And yeah. that's why Napoli is playing bad. Yeah. yeah. I, 
eventually, yeah, eventually they're you you run into that fatigue and you tire out. So, um, not but no, even even send the message that I trust you. You know, right? Of course, you are sub, okay. But if I feel that immobile side, even against Juventus, I I I call you in because I know that you're gonna give me the best because I trust you, and right. you're gonna repay me. That doesn't happen with Sarri, you know. No, it's it. It's interesting. And Napoli going to have to turn it around quick because, I mean, they got Torino coming up, which is never easy. Uh, they got Udinese in Coppa Italia, which uh, Udinese are another Jekyll and Hyde team where one minute they look really good, other minute they look like ter- they look really terrible. But then the big matchup on uh, December 23rd, two days before Christmas, is against Sampdoria. That's a very interesting matchup right there because if uh, Napoli hasn't figured it out by then, they're going to they're gonna pay for it dearly. Um even though they're at home, Sampdoria is never an easy squad, but we've seen all season. We call them the giant killers for a reason. Well, you have to see how Sampdoria is performing because in the recent games, they didn't play very well. And it's going to be really interesting because this is the first time in Italy that you play around Christmas time. You know, you're going to play the 23rd, then Boxing Day is, Day is Coppa Italia. So this is going to be very different from the past because it's never happened. So we're going to see how teams react, how team prepares. And it's going to be interesting, especially because teams like Napoli would would love to have a week of rest, but mm-hmm. they're not going to have it this time. No. Mm. Uh, but let's get some credit to Fiorentina, though, Richard. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It show, it, like I was saying before, I think that their, their turnaround has started earlier than you and I had thought. And... Um, their last two results, really, just Fiorentina, they're starting to come together. The young player, Chiesa, is, is starting to get you know confidence in the team. And Tarot, he's been, he's, been, he's been wonderful this year. I think it's like four goals, five goals, four, five assists, something like that. Um, the old man's still getting it done. And, uh, yeah, the team is just, they're, they're becoming a team is what they are. They're, the project is moving along ahead of schedule, I think. Unbeaten, well, have- un- unbeaten in their last four games. Yeah. Well, they they have two players on front that are really really interesting. As I was saying, Simeone and Chiesa, they're two young and very talented players. But for example, I saw it against Lazio. They were really really lucky. They didn't deserve to draw. The penalty was never there. But every time Chiesa had the ball, you know he could score. That's the biggest difference. And mm. Tero is playing better because uh, the defense has to be careful to mark Simeone and Chiesa. So probably he has more space yeah. available yeah. to shine. But Fiorentina is very, very interesting front, but the defense still doesn't convince me. And Pioli is is good when the team needs to attack, but his defense are always uh, not great. Let's put it like that. <laughs> I always thought they mm-hmm. did Inter last year. They weren't good at all. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with all of that. So. Those are the two big games of the weekend, and there was no goals between them. That's uh, that's not been like City on the last couple of seasons. So uh, hopefully we will uh, see that get reversed here uh, real soon. So go to at the two big games of the weekend. Go to at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Let's jump into the rest of the slate. All right, Richard, we've gone this far, and we don't have any Lega Serie A sound yet. Yeah, making my job a little easier, <laughs> unfortunately, though. Let's put you to work. Uh, we Saturday, um, we thought after the first game on Saturday that we would be in for a goal fest at the weekend, at least if uh, the first game was any indication we were going to be in for a mouthwatering weekend. Boy, were we let down. But anyway, let's get to that. Cagliari 
hosting Sampdoria. Uh, and uh, this was played in Sardinia uh, at the, uh, at the uh, Sardinia Arena in Cagliari. Uh, so uh, Sampdoria, obviously, uh, this, is a, this was actually kind of a test for them because we're starting to ask the question after the win over Juventus, maybe have they peaked just a little bit? Uh, and uh, after 11 minutes, we, uh, we found out that Italy still can be a country for old men. La lascia rimbalzare, palla dentro a cercare il taglio di Quagliarella, pallone in rete, con la punta del piede, la sblocca il capitano della Samp. Fabio Quagliarella with the uh, opening goal to uh, uh, put the Blue Karate in front. And uh, just eight minutes later, that old man would pop up again. Ramirez, il colpo di tacco, Quagliarella! La doppietta di Fabio Quagliarella! Il sinistro chirurgico nell'angolino lontano. Cragno può soltanto guardarla. 19 minuti e la Samp è sopra di due a Cagliari. 2-0 to Sampdoria, and uh, just about everybody would have thought, okay, they're going to wrap this thing up. They're going to get three points, and that was the score going into halftime. And then in the second half, uh, must have been a very, very passionate team talk uh, at halftime at Cagliari because in the second half, they came out firing, and in the 56th minute, they would pull one back. Pressato da Farias, il tocco dietro su Viviano. Che colpisce in pieno Farias, incredibile, di mezzo allo svantaggio il Cagliari con questo gol pazzesco di Farias, colpito in pieno da Emiliano Viviano. A goal from Diego Farias uh, to have that lead. It's 2-1 to Sampdoria and uh, that uh, 2-1 lead would only be enjoyed for another four minutes. Il cross dentro a vuoto Silvestre, non sbaglia! Leonardo Pavoletti per il 2-2, la firma di Pavoloso, quarto gol in campionato, tutti alla Sardegna Arena per lui, il Cagliari è di nuovo in partita. Leonardo Pavoletti on the hour, uh, equalizing for the Sardinians, uh, giving a 2-2 draw. Uh, Vittoria Pavoletti, uh, finding his feet at Cagliari, isn't he? Yeah, he's an interesting player. Uh, again, another one who didn't work well with the Sarri. So uh, he has a chance there to prove he's a, he's a worthy player. Uh, he's someone to watch. He's interesting. Um, he showed his talent. Uh, he can become useful in the future. Um, again, he had this big chance. He didn't uh, use it. So maybe Cagliari is his right dimension. Yes. Uh, Richard, uh, not like not like a Giampaolo team to, to squander a 2-0 lead like this, especially against a team like Cagliari. What's going on? Well, I think this game was a tale of two goaltenders. Um, Cragno pretty much saved the day in the first half. Um, Sampdoria probably could have had five goals in that first half, but he made save after save. Uh, he was on, standing on his head. He's really the reason why this game wasn't a blowout. Uh, but then the second half, it was Viviano who was making mistakes. Um, that first goal that Farias scored, I mean, he shot the he shot the ball at, at Farias's back and just bounced in the net. I mean, mm. talk about follies. I mean, there's a tale of two different goaltenders there. I mean, like I said, Cranio, all credit to him. He made some fantastic saves, kept his team in it, and his team ultimately paid him back for that um, getting 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 the win or the draw. So it was almost like a win because. Like I said, they were they were down two nothing, and it could have been a lot worse. But if it wasn't for Cragno, uh, this game would have been long over well, be, well before halftime. 
Mm. And, and it's a shame because Viviano, six, seven years ago, was rated very high. Yeah. He was considered, you know, one of the uh, possible players that finish in the national team and play instead of Buffon. Instead, he's going up and down since then. And uh, he, to play top level, especially for a goalkeeper, you don't have to make bad mistakes. And he made a great save after that incredible mistakes, but you cannot make something like that in a Serie A match. So uh, it's a shame because he had quality, but for a goalkeeper, you have to be consistent, and he's not. Mm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it, it's definitely uh, definitely a shame there. Um, but we're going to ask this question about Sampdoria here for a while until they can get back to winning ways because, uh, you know, since that win, uh, since that big win over Juventus, uh you know, which seemed like an eternity ago, uh, when they uh, when they beat Juventus, uh, all they have to show for it since then is uh, you know they're winless in their last three. And in, in Serie A, they have the win over Pescara in the Coppa Italia, uh, but uh, now having to uh, head to well round of sixteen Coppa Italia against Fior- at Fiorentina, uh, certainly not the form you want to be in at this point, or not to allow things to slip. We'll see uh, we'll see how that game goes on Wednesday. That'll definitely be a very good one. So. Um, moving on, we had another draw, and we had another goalless draw at that. Chievo and Roma, nil-nil. Uh, uh, Vittorio, I'll I let you poke fun at your rival here, because this was, a, <laughs> this was a missed opportunity, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But you have to say that Chievo at home lost only against Lazio and AC Milan, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. So this tells you uh, a lot about this match, about Kievo. It's not easy. It's not easy, easy to uh, to win there. You know, Napoli draw, Roma draw. So it, it's a tough, it's a tough place to win. Um, Roma tried to play for the first time without Seiko, and things didn't go very well. Yes, Sorrentino made uh, an incredible match, but a top team like Roma especially after what happened on Saturday, could have won this and uh, go back and compete for the Scudetto, which didn't happen. So, um, Di Francesco is doing a great job, but I feel that uh, Roma hasn't got the depth to compete for the Scudetto at the moment. Mm. Richard, you had a little fun fact about the top four? Yeah, um, I I love my stats, and so I love following Optopalo on Twitter. Uh, they gave us this fun fact about the top four. Juventus, Inter, Napoli, and Roma failed to score on the same Serie A match day for the first time since match day 22 in the 1994-1995 season. Hashtag mm. unusual. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, that is unusual. Wow. Uh, it's good that you think of those things and I don't. <laughs> 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 so. So, yeah, Chievo and Roma going goalless at nil-nil. Uh, uh, well, uh, let's get to the last, because this is the fifth of five draws that happened uh, on Sunday. It was uh, Spal and Hellas Verona, uh, a relegation six-pointer, and they will share the spoils. An Alessio Cecchi penalty in the 55th minute open the scoring. And then Martin Caceres, of all people, uh, pulling Hellas Verona ahead 2-0 uh, before Spal come roaring back. Uh, late on, Alberto Poloski had the have the lead uh, for Spall, uh, making it two one to Hellas Verona, and then two minutes later, this would happen. The Antenuti, two 
A penalty uh, given to Spall at that, and Mirko Antonucci uh, scoring another one for Spall, Richard. Yeah, he's uh, he's picking up the slack that Borrello uh, if, if Borrello's failing to bring. Um, Antonucci's been a nice, a nice, a nice find for Spall. He's uh, what thirty four years old. And he's he's got the magic. It's a country for old men, as we've been saying. Uh, he's been getting goal after goal this season. It seems um, keeping Spall, uh, keeping Spall in it. I was just to say, keeping him, trying to make him survive this relegation battle, possibly. Vittorio, neither team could be happy with these. Uh, um, uh, neither team could be happy with this draw, in particular Verona, who had three points. Well, for for Verona, this is a loss. Let's not hide it. You know, you are two two nil up. Things look settled. You know, you you look that you are getting these three points. Uh, so yeah, it's it's not a very good result, but it's great for Spal. You know, that was a match lost. And you were able to to recover. And then there was this episode before the the first goal of Spal, uh, a goal uh, that was disallowed of Flockery, and uh, that was strange because at the beginning it looks like the ball was out, but uh, you can see with the replay that the ball was didn't go out completely. And Rocky uh, disallowed the goal, saying that there was a fall on the goalkeeper, which wasn't there absolutely because. Uh, uh, who is the keeper? Uh, Nicolas uh, didn't didn't block the ball and left it there. Flockery was able to score. So uh, Spal was lucky to score immediately afterwards because that could have changed the match. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Casares should sign for Lazio in January. <laughs> that'd be good for them. That'd be good for them. Yeah. Well, that that's the 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 deal. Uh, Lazio sign Casares and. Uh, uh, give it on loan to Verona oh, okay. because because they couldn't sign uh, another player, not, another not EU player, and so in January they're gonna uh, if he, if he was performing at Verona he was coming to to Rome in January. I think he's playing well enough, so I think Lazio will give him a chance. Oh, mm. good for them! Good for them! Good pickup! Good for them! Yep, definitely good to definitely good to hear. All right, that's enough of the draws. Let's get on to some winners, huh, guys? Yeah, finally. Yeah, finally we get to some winners, and we had well, except, uh, unless you're Milan, you're 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 playing Benevento and getting three points, uh, and that's what Udinese got to do this week. Uh, in five, and in just five minutes, Antonin Barak did this. Bianco, palla in mezzo, e poi Barak il sinistro e il gol. Il vantaggio dell'Udinese, Antonin Barak, minuto cinque. That put Udinese ahead 1-0. I'm going to talk about, talk about Barak here after uh, I talk about the second goal, which came from Kevin Lasagna in the 41st minute uh, to give Udinese the 2-0 win. Uh, Vittorio, let's talk about Massimo Odo. Um, does he just he, – it, it, this just feels like such a perfect fit. Him, his tactics, the way he likes to play, and players like Antonin Barak. Uh, I like him a lot as a manager. I thought, you know, Pescara simply didn't have the chance to survive in Serie A. It wasn't mm. Odo's fault. Now with a better team like Udinese, which isn't a great team, but it's better than Pescara. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's able to he's able to to show his talent. Uh, and again, he's another former Lazio player who studied a lot. Who is passionate about the sport and uh, who who comes out with a nice idea and nice tactics, who love play football, not only defend. So uh, I, I want to see what he does 
And uh, I think Udinese is the could be the perfect fit for him because he's not going to have a lot of pressure. Uh, so he can experiment a little bit, show his talent and uh, see what happens afterwards. But uh, I really like Massimo Otto. He, he did very, very well in Serie B with Pescara and uh, he deserved to have a chance. I agree with that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we saw the effect, of, you know, Jakob Yanko before this, Richard, uh, you know, getting the brace. But uh, Udinese uh, now 13th on 18 points uh, with a game in hand. I mean, we talk about maybe the top part of the bottom half for sure, the safe spot for them. Can they sneak into the top half under Odo? They might be able to. I mean, you know, Barak is another good player. Like today, he had a goal and assist. And with Yankto and Fofana, all the young guys on the team, um, Rodrigo De Pal, uh, they they have something special there. And like you both were saying, this is like almost a perfect fit because I, I know watching Pescara in the, in the past, I loved his attacking sense. That's one thing when he was with Pescara last season um, and how poorly they were doing, but they kept attacking. That's, you, for sure, you knew they were going to attack. Yes, they'd be vulnerable in defense, but they would always attack. Um, so now with a team that's better than what he had before, you can really see if what his tactics is going to be able to do and the job security that he has there. Um, I think it'll give him a time to develop as a, as a as a as a manager. And I yeah. think they could, in fact, you know, I mean, the teams above them, you know, Bologna, Kiev, Atalanta, Torino, Fiorentina, and Milan. They're a little bit more. Well, Fiorentina is more consistent, I should say. But the other teams are not very consistent this season. If Udinese can get on a string of some wins here, get some confidence. Anything is possible, and they could sneak up to the top ten. It's it's very possible. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Uh, Atalanta probably is better, but has Europe League that's gonna drain a lot of energy. Yeah. And and Bologna, Kievo are nothing special. So and and what I think is gonna happen is when Kiev and Bologna will think they're safe, they're gonna start a little bit of underperform, and that will help Dinese to maybe past them yeah yeah indeed indeed okay uh there was another there was another there's a couple more winners let's get to them well we had Sassuolo taking on Crotone a relegation six-pointer here if you will uh a debut for Crotone's new manager Walter Zenga of all people uh Davide Nicola uh deciding to move on uh from his post uh we already know Giuseppe Iacchini uh, is in charge at Sassuolo from Christian Buki. Uh, this was a goalless draw at halftime, and then the goals happened in the second half. Eduardo Goldaniga opening the scoring in the 49th minute, uh, and then 12 minutes later, Sassuolo would double their lead. La Veronica Di Politano che prova la conclusione e trova un gol meraviglioso. Sassuolo 2, Crotone 0. La rete di Matteo Politano. Matteo Politano of that ultimately disappointing trio of attackers that Sassuolo have when you look at uh, their potential and the talent that they really have to offer when you're talking Politano, uh, 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 Falcinelli, and Berardi. But uh, Politano does double the lead for the Nero Verdi. And uh, apparently Francesco Acerbi felt so bad for Crotone, he decided to put a ball in his own net uh, just about (laughs) five minutes later. Uh, So that made it 2-1, and that's how the game would... And Vittorio uh, Nicola retire, re- resigning, not retiring, he's a young man, I'm <laughs> sure he'll find his feet somewhere else. 
But Walter Zenga, this is this is this is a weird one, isn't it? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, Zenga didn't have a real chance in in uh, Serie A. He had with Sampdoria, but that was a weird team. I don't think it was all his fault. And uh, again, Crotone is not going to be an easy challenge for him because uh, I think Crotone is a little bit better but, than Benevento, but still hasn't got a team good enough to survive to Serie A. So it's going to be really, really complicated for Zenga to do a miracle again this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's say he he was a little bit out of the market, so it's surprising to see him back uh, in uh, in Serie A. But outside Italy, he's very well considered, especially you know in uh, Romania or Ar- Arabic, where he did pretty much well. Sure, sure. We'll see what he can. We'll see what he can bring to Crotone if he can if he can bring some sort of a jolt into this team. Uh, yeah, but he cannot do miracles, you know. <laughs> no, he can't. No, no, and I don't. I don't expect him to. Uh, you know, certainly not. Uh, but uh, Sassuolo, on the other hand, Richard, uh, get a win here uh, under Yakini, get a goal here under Politano. Uh, they move up to fifteenth place. But I mean, goodness, what is it going to take for? What is it going to take for those front three to go off at some point? They've got to eventually start pouring in the goals. That's just too much talent for them to be playing the way they're playing. They need to sleep in the same room together, go to lunch together, breakfast, dinner. they got to hang out all the time. they got to learn each other. I mean, finally, when Pauly Town scored, I had to do a double take because I was, I was so shocked, which is what you're not thinking. I mean, like we've been saying all season, they got three decent strikers up front, and they can't, they can't get on the same page. They just need to spend every living moment of the day together until they figure out where each other's going to be. Uh, be able to finish each other's sentences, and that way maybe then they can start scoring some goals together. Mm-hmm. I you know certainly agree with that. So uh, let's see if uh, this is the start of something uh, you know of an upswing for Swallow. I doubt it, but you never know. Uh, finally, we finish with the match that took place on Sunday night: uh, AC Milan hosting Bologna. Uh, Reno Gattuso takes a look at his team and says, "You know what? We need to go to a four-three-three, which is something I've been screaming about." For the last couple of months, I just don't think they, even with Leonardo Benucci, I don't think they've ever had the personnel to play with a three-man defense. So they finally go to that. Um, they play Roberto Donadoni's all, you know, surprising and albeit stubborn uh, Bologna side. Uh, and this was a very open and entertaining game. And Milan really carving out the chances and looking a lot more fluid in their four-three-three. And their chance would pay off. Just their 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 chances and their efforts, excuse me, would pay off within the first 10 minutes and on that 10th minute Jack gonna Jack Giacomo Bonaventura, after getting a layoff from Nikola Kalinic, good to know Kalinic is good for something. Uh, <laughs> put the Rossoneri in front by a goal to nil. Uh, Bologna started waking up, started coming into this match a little bit, and Milan's lead would be short-lived on 23 minutes. Destro, scappa su Musacchio, gran giocata di destro, che poi premia il rimorchio di Verdi! Eccolo qui, Verdi che colpisce San Siro! The former Milan man, Simone Verdi, uh, just un- inexcusably unmarked in that penalty area 
to equalize for the Rosa Blue. Uh, and it would be 1-1 at halftime. Uh, Gattuso goes through, starts making some adjustments, brings out Abate, uh, brings on Andre Silva, brings on Gutrone, brings on Calabria, starts making all of these changes. Uh, but it was Fabio Barini who moved over to the right-hand side when Abate came out, and it seemed like that move paid off. It was Borini's cross to Jack. Jack going to Jack. And he gets a brace in the 76th minute to put Milan in front. Two goals to one. Uh, and that is how the game would end. Bologna would press forward for some chances. They did have a chance that went off the crossbar. Uh, they did come close to equalizing this game. But this time, Milan hold on for the 2-1 win instead of last week. Vittorio... Uh, Milan, uh, from a, a non-Milan fan's perspective, have they been the most, from a neutral perspective, have they been, have they been aggravating to you, or is it fun, or is it, or is it fun for you to watch them suffer? <laughs> no, it's not fun watch them suffer. It's <laughs> the thing is, everybody was talking about this incredible transfer market AC Milan did this summer. And I was saying, there's not a single star that they bought. They bought a lot of interesting players like Cassie, uh, Conti, etc., but not a game changer. You know, Borini, he was terrible at Sunderland. You know, I had friends, uh, uh, Sunderland fans, that couldn't understand how Milan could buy a player like Borini. <laughs> he yeah. was terrible. Sunderland got relegated and Borini, I mean, was part of the reason why they got relegated. So, and and you paid Borini nearly the same amount of money Lazio paid Immobile. This tells you a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. So, M- Milan spent a lot of money, but not wisely. So, when I was reading, ah, this Milan can fight for the Scudetto, etc. No, never. It no, takes time to build a team from scratch, and. If you don't sign key players, top players, it's going to be even more difficult. So I'm not surprised that Milan is in, in this position because uh, the transfer market wasn't that great. Uh, I never loved Montella that much. Don't think Gattuso could be the answer. But the problems are always the players, you know. Uh, Bonucci always shined when was playing with Juventus, with Chiellini and Barzai. This is the first time he's playing alone. And he's going to struggle. You, you, you will understand now if Bonucci is a real star or he shined because he was near Kellini and Barzai. Kessi has to grow. Uh, Kalinic was not decisive at Fiorentina, imagine at Milan. So there are a lot of question marks and I'm not surprised that Milan is struggling. Um, now, I don't believe Milan will have the money in January to buy other players to fix the situation. So I'm not surprised that Milan will fight for the Europe League, but not not for the Champions League spot, in my opinion. Mm. 
Interesting. Um, uh, Richard, and, and I and I see your point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'd, no real world class players would sign. You can make the argument that Benucci uh, was in world class form uh, when he left Juventus with some of the things that he did, you know, for the uh, Bianconeri. Uh, but Richard, it comes back to a player who's been in the Milan system for a few years, Bonaventura. Yeah. Uh... He's a he's a Milan favorite for sure, and it's reasons like this. Uh, he comes up at key times. Last year he was he was he had a really good season, but this year he's been failing to perform. And part of that is you know position from a tactics uh, point of view. He's not been, he's been put in the places positions that he doesn't excel in. Um, he's a midfielder, an attacking midfielder at that, but he's not up on a winger on the left side. How, how he's been playing with under Montella. Um, but yeah, he's a tried and true and. Uh, He's one of the one of the one of the stalwarts that, that Milan faithful love, and uh, like I said, two goals today were a good reason to show why why we love him. I mean, look at the passion when he scores. Uh, he just love you can just see it pouring out of it, and, and this is how Milan fans feel when when he sees him score. This is how they fans react. Um, and it was funny. Uh, James Horncastle put a posted a tweet that said uh, moments uh, moments after Gattuso yelled out. If you don't do what I say, I'm gonna destroy you during the week. And then I guess a couple minutes, a couple seconds later, Milan scored. Um, so you know, Jack is one of the few players on the team that who can uh, portray the grinta and, and the passion that Milan need that Gattuso is looking for in these games. And um, yeah, it's just, it's great to see Jack get Jack get back into doing what he uh, what we know he can do. Yeah, most. Most definitely, um, it was uh, it was a needed win for Milan. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it, 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 they pick up two points on just about everybody that played. Obviously, Lazio hasn't played yet, so um, you know. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens here. So um, so that was it for all of the games. There's one more game uh, going on Monday. We talked about the Lazio Torino game. Uh, Genoa at Genoa hosting Atalanta precedes that. Now, Vittorio. You know, it seems like Atalanta have put their eggs in the Europa League basket, if you will, uh, you know, at least from the surface. Genoa under Davide Ballerini have yet to lose a game. I mean, this is a this is a more interesting game than people think. It's not. W- w- would you write this off and say this is an Atalanta win or do you or do you give Genoa a chance here? Absolutely. I give Genoa a chance. Uh, as you were saying correctly, Atalanta put most of the focus on the Europe League and you have, you know, makes totally sense. First time they played after ages and uh, they want to prove that it's worthy and they passed the group phase uh, incredibly well. Atalanta is a very good team, but uh, we always said that playing in Europe takes a toll on you and Atalanta has proven it. Obviously, Atalanta hasn't got uh, a team big enough to perform and play in uh, three different competitions, considering even Coppa Italia. And that's why in uh, Campionato, in Serie A, uh, Atalanta is not playing that well. So they played on Thursday. Uh, They had more time to recover because uh, they're going to play on Tuesday, if I'm not wrong. But Genoa is playing really well. Uh, Everything's changed since the arrival of of, uh, Ballardini. So I see Genoa a little bit uh, favorite. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but I see Genoa a little bit favorite, but you never know. It's very true. It's very true. Yep. 
Uh, do you have a Do you have a prediction on this game? It's It's always very hard, but I would say Genoa two one because Atalanta usually score. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say one one. I think it'll be a draw. I I I I I don't want to get there. I mean, Balladini's obviously having a bit of an effect on Genoa. But uh, I don't. I don't want to totally just uh, give him a win here, Richard. What do you think, man? Um, I mean, I like what Atal- I like Atalanta. Period. Um, I, I love what they're doing in Europa League. They have been obviously all their eggs are in one basket right now. But I do think they're going to have to start getting some results in Serie A. If they, if you don't want to just piss this all away, um, I'm going to go with two one for Atalanta. Two one for Atalanta. Okay, so we're all. We're, we're, we're literally split on that one. So, <laughs> right. So, you know, two good games coming up on Monday. Uh, Genoa hosting Atalanta, Lazio hosting Torino. Uh, go to at City. I'll sit down on Twitter or Instagram for your thoughts on those games uh, or anything you saw over the weekend. Uh, let's uh, finish this up with some listener questions. All right, let's wrap this up. We've got let's 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 fly through these if we can, uh, and we'll start with an old friend at b underscore berti ninety eight. Brian Berti, a uh, former uh, panelist here on this show, uh, he's got two questions. Uh, do you guys think Napoli will bottle the league again? Um, and his second question is actually for you, Richard. So I'll start with you on this one. Uh, how missed is Brian these days? I don't recall this Brian fellow. Who is this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, of course, we miss you, Brian. Of course, yeah. We love we love your new show. So keep it keep it up, buddy. Yeah, keep up what you're doing out there, Brian. Doing some great stuff. So, uh, but to the uh, Napoli question here, uh, Vittorio, uh, do you see them? Uh, do you see them losing this thing? It's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, you can see that the the club is struggling. The team is struggling, and if they can finish December a little bit better than how it started, then I think they're going to fight till the end of the season. Um, I believe Napoli, after Juventus, has the best team. But uh, Sarri made the wrong decision in the turnover and things like that. So I think the top players are are very tired. Uh, Things can go really, really bad, but things can even go better. You know, they can recover and uh, start winning again. But to be honest, I see Juventus' favorite, and Inter is an interesting uh, team to follow for the Scudetto, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I certainly, uh, I certainly agree with that. Uh, it's, I, it's so close right now. I mean, you've got three, four, five. You got five teams all that could that you could uh, you could ask questions about, or you could all you could all put in the mix. So, uh, you know, so we will certainly see. We'll certainly see how this goes. Uh, Richard, do you think Napoli bottle this? You predicted them to win, so you're going to stick with them, aren't you? I'm going to stick with them. I mean, this season is long. Everyone, There's ups and downs all season. This is Napoli's down right now. Uh, I think they'll get out of it. I think they'll get back to doing what they were doing before. I think they're going to hang on barely, but it's going to be it's going to be close. And we may, like I said, we originally we thought it was going to be a two team battle. It could be three, four, even five teams in this uh, at the end of this. Um, but I, I think they're going to hold on just barely. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next question. This is from at Rick Afka, R-I-K-A-F-C-A. Are there any SETI B teams that could be good enough for SETI A? I'd say body. 
not just because our friend Mark, Mark Neal, Neal is, yeah. a, is a is a regular uh, you know a regular guest here on our podcast, uh, but they're top of Serie B right now. They they play a good brand of football. I I, I think I'll look past the fact that they lost three 0 at home to Palermo today. Um, games like that happen, especially in Serie B. Uh, Vittorio, anybody in Serie B that that catches your attention? Um, it depends what you mean team that can compete with Serie A team right now or that yes. I like watching? Well, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, the gap in the last year has been so big that even if a team performed very well in Serie B and then switched to Serie A, they're going to struggle a lot. The, the, mm-hmm. the gap is huge at the moment. And you can see it. You know, Palermo is one of the most uh, interesting team, but they have been destroyed in Serie A when last in the past so the gap is too big at the moment and and it's a problem because uh, there are a lot of interesting team in Serie B that would be good to see uh, playing in Serie A mm. they, they need to to improve if if they want to if they want to compete when they when they switch to Serie A, you know there is Parma that is a very interesting team. There is Palermo who has big story. Bari would be good to see Bari again in Serie A after all these years, uh, and so we're gonna see what what happened. But at the moment, I didn't see a team that really shines for me. Yeah? Okay, um, it is. It's gonna be a tough one. Bari's a you know you know Bari could be it. Richard, do you have any thoughts on the Serie B? I mean, I, I agree with Vittorio. The, the gap is probably too big. I'm going to be a little bit romantic, though, and hope that one of these, one or two of these teams can compete. Um, I love to see Parma back in Serie A yes. again, for sure. Um, Palermo, they're they're, leading, they're doing very well this season. They've been in the, they've been in the Serie A before, so you know with them, top of Serie B right now. Yeah, with uh, Ilya Nestrovsky there, he has like ten goals, I think, this season. He's doing very well. Um, Empoli, they even though they've been in the past and they've struggled. Uh, Francesco Caputo has been doing very well for them this season. I think he's leading their league in goals right now. Um, Bari would be another good one. And also, if you see Venezia up there and see Inzaghi in, in Serie A against his brother and, and Simone. So that would be interesting. So, um, you know, I don't know. Parma, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, the gap is probably too big. Um, but it was just nice to see some teams back in Serie A that, that have been, haven't been there in a while or just down for for a year or two so i don't know it, it's it's tough to say really because sure. you look at benevento how they're just being they're not even belonging this league you could tell in Syria. no absolutely absolutely we, we thought hellas verona were going to be staying up this year they're not looking like they're going to do that spa has been the best of the bunch but still it's 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 tough i mean when crotone who last year were a laughing stock in syria are better than all those teams it tells you something mm-hmm Definitely, uh, definitely agree with that. Yeah, look, Caracci- Caracciolo still scoring in Serie B tells you a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, and then let's see. I think the other one we had here, uh, our friend uh, at AC Milan, Michael, uh, asked, the last time the team giving up the least amount of goals that didn't win the Scudetto, it was Lazio. In 2007, there you go, Vittorio. Very good defense that season, and uh, did not uh, did not win the Scudetto that season. Will it happen again this year? And I'll start with this one. Well, right now you take a look at uh, uh, the goals against, and you've got Inter, 
uh, Napoli and Roma all on 10 goals against um, with, uh, you know, Juventus coming after that at 14, Lazio at 16. So, Vittorio, is it a possibility that uh, the best defense might not win you the Scudetto this season? You know, in Italy, we always say that defense makes you win the Scudetto. The, the, the attack makes you win the Champions League. So uh, it's difficult, but you can see that something is changing in, in uh, Italian football. So it could be. But one of the secrets of the success of Di Francesco recently is his defence. Uh, Juventus' secret was always the defence. Now, they struggle at the beginning because they had to uh, reshape things without Bonucci. But I think in the long term, uh, defence will be always making a difference. And, you know, think about Sarri, Napoli's uh, performance. You know, the, they play very well, but the secret is that they don't allow the same amount of goal they did last season. So, yeah. I mm-hmm. think defence is always very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you still need to defend to win this league. Uh, so, I, I think the uh, the team that's going to concede the fewest goals is going to go on and win this. Because, Richard... I mean, we're talking about four or five teams here right now that they all can attack well. So, yeah. you know, there's no issue with that. The team that can that can shore it up back there, I think, is going to be the team that survives this. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, and Juventus has shown this last couple of games that they still know how to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, though. I think, though, if, first, if, if Napoli do hold on to this, it will be the first time because I don't think their defense is as good as Juventus or even Roma has shown now with, with Di Francesco. Um, yeah, they're going to be able to score outscore you for sure, but I don't know if they're going to be able this, you know, this, what they've done defensively so far is impressive for sure. I, I'm not going to discount them this, but I don't think they're as good defensively as a, a Juventus is because Juventus has done it before. Inter, I don't think they're going to be able to hold on to that defensive record. Uh, but like I said, Juventus knows how to do the job. They've done it for six years in a row already. Um, they're starting to show this last week or so that they still know how to do it. And so if, if those two are going to be battling down to the end and Napoli do get it, uh, I think that's going to be the first time since 2007 that it's happened. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Uh, go to at Serie A sit down or Twitter. Uh, keep the questions coming. We love to answer them and we, we love to interact with you guys. Uh, so, um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly appreciate uh, everybody uh, taking the time to, uh, to to ask us. We we're, we're happy to answer. So. Hey, we actually had a uh, Lazio fan just tweeted us and said, "How can you record the pod before Lazio beat Torino?" Uh, that's from Mark Adams, uh, friends of the show, big Lazio fan. You know, we get, it's a weekend. We had to get Lazio in here, and uh, we had a, we got Vittorio on. So anytime we can get him on, we're gonna get him on as soon as possible. You know. Vittorio is seven hours ahead of us. The only other time that we would have recorded would have been on Monday night our time, and I don't think Vittorio is getting up at three o'clock in the morning his time to do it. So, um, you know, well, so, probably uh, I, I will still be awake celebrating the victory if we win. <laughs> Spoken like a Lazio fan. There you go. There you go. So, so that's the answer to that. So, with that in mind, uh, let's put a bow on this edition of Serie A. Sit down. Uh, Vittorio, anything else uh, you, you want to put out there for uh, for the listeners? Uh, where, where can they go for the Lazio Lounge uh, if they want to give that a listen? Well, they can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, uh, okay. Lazio Lounge, or on Spreaker. We have even a YouTube channel. Uh, of course, it's youtube.com slash c slash Lazio Lounge, where you, 
we upload even some videos about Lazio, obviously. Uh, there is a review of uh, Lazio Inter Primavera that I just uploaded today. Oh, nice. Uh, yep. Yeah. And cool. yeah, you can find you can find us pretty much everywhere on on internet, on Twitter, on Facebook. Just search for Lazio Lounge, and we are there. Excellent, excellent, and thank you so much. I know it's late where you are. Thank you so much uh, for pleasure. hanging in thank there and, uh, and and being a part of a cat, being being part of our podcast. And uh, let's do this again. Let's do this again real soon. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, it was a pleasure, uh, Richard. What do you got cooking? Um, actually, I got two articles about to come out. One, I make a, I make the argument, is Europa League more entertaining to watch this season than Champions League? And then I got another article on um, Joshua Perez. It's an American uh, player who's with uh, Fiorentino. Actually, he's on loan at Livorno right now. So uh, stay tuned for that. My Young Stars of Italian Football series continues. Excellent. Uh, and then for me, I'm at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, the Calcio Consultant, which you can also find on worldfootballindex.com, my most recent uh, installment. Uh, go check it out with Carlo Ancelotti uh, turning down the Italian national team job. I look at 10 uh, managers uh, of Italian football that could be possible candidates, including Vittorio's uh, Simone Inzaghi, uh, offering a case for them and a case against each. Uh, I really don't give you who I think should get it because... I don't know at this point. So I was kind of hoping Ancelotti would take the job. So, uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of Serie Sit Down. Certainly, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to us. And as always, be sure you tell, tell your paisans about us. Ciao.